Welcome to this latest episode of the Cityscape Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Tanisha Naidu, and in today's episode, we're looking at the impact of COVID-19 on the architecture profession and the lasting impact on cities and the way they will be designed. Wall Street Journal's Jaden Irby puts it best. To understand just how big of a turning point this pandemic is for our cities, we need to look to health crises of the past. More people live in cities than ever before, with nearly 70% of the world expected to live in an urban area by 2050. But what makes cities so successful as cultural and financial hubs also makes them a hotbed for spreading diseases. And the way cities have responded to the spread of diseases throughout history have had lasting impacts. Architects and urban planners have been optimistic about the future and have looked at the crisis as a means of improving the way cities are designed and run. In today's episode, I'll be talking to Karosh Salehi, design director based in Dubai at architecture firm LWK and Partners to understand how urban planners and architects will have to adapt and what adjustments will endure beyond the end of the pandemic. trends have been accelerated as a result of COVID-19 in the architecture profession? Well, clearly the focus on personal health and hygiene, as well as definition of personal space, has been redefined. The disruption to our daily routine as a result of self-isolation, working from home, and the severe reduction of global travel commerce has been substantial. Subsequently, we increasingly seem to be relying on technology for greater connectivity. That means modes of communication have emerged as a a vital component of how we conduct our civic, educational, business and social interactions. For us at LWK, we rely on close human interactions both when we work with clients and the wider design team. So available technology has been great help, but the new format of interfacing has been a learning curve for us all. The first and perhaps most critical change of impact was to have a strategy to implement in place. Then it was strong IT infrastructure to support and easy transition towards forwards and backwards, but also establish a flexible work practice methodologies of maintaining regular and effective communications, both internally and externally. Well, let's talk about how COVID-19 has altered and changed the urban planning dimension of pandemic preparedness. How are we seeing cities change? Can you give us some examples that you've noticed? I've been talking and writing this subject in terms of the city's response to all sorts of large-scale issues for close to over a decade. Cities remain at the forefront of conflicts and disasters, and their form and content, which is the communities that they house, change significantly as a result. Since the earliest human habitation, protection has been the primary incentive to devise means, materials and methods 
to construct a safer living environment. Things like weather conditions, fear of enemy attacks, diseases and natural disasters are reasons to regulate to achieve safer standards. Calamities, if you like, like wars, major fires, illnesses have greatly contributed to the way cities have been shaped and structured. So often laws and regulations are as civic response to fear, if you like, of what can go wrong. And cities regulate themselves as a defensive or preventative measure to protect their inhabitants and their way of life, I suppose. The apocalyptic predictions of what could happen becomes a need for protection. And it's not surprising that cities have tried to protect themselves through guidelines, urban regulations, and are often the consequence of major disasters like earthquakes, plagues, floods, to name a few. So disasters, or more accurately, the fear of them, shape our cities. For instance, today many commentators cite the Great Fire of London, of 1666 as the source of the development control measures in highly regulated city of London and how it gave birth to city planning as we know it. What has history taught us when it comes to our design approach of cities during a crisis? You've mentioned the Great Fire of London. Well, what about world wars, Spanish flu, especially when looking at densification? I think densification is a very, very interesting component. It's something that many urban planners have promoted. Obviously, cities by definitions are less and are more functional when they're dense. So since the earliest human habitation, like we said, protection has been the primary incentive to devise means and methods to construct safer living environments. So one of the issues that highlighted by recent COVID is the awareness of human proximity and the need to manage it as means of spreading the virus. So social distancing is a phrase that we hear. Given over 54% of us live and work in cities, in a various kind of social forms, outside the immediate family environment, question is how can it coexist with the age of hypothesis that denser cities are more efficient machines which capitalize on shared services and resources. Urbanists have long argued that dense urban centers are more efficient in their functionality and land usage. Densification, as you put it, or building a dense or city inwardly offers a, an approach to housing demands and reduces the tendency for cities to spread out and claim precious land. So you heard that from many urbanists. In public discourse, densification is offered as the only alternative to ever-expanding suburbs. So for ecological and social sustainability, sharing of main health, leisure and other social interactive facilities, you know, urban sprawl, in other words. So the growth of new cities which lack standards and controls also creates potential risks and challenges in view of emerging infectious diseases. Large urban economies, 
or ecosystems can be adversely affected by poor housing, bad water supplies and inadequate infrastructures. These will in turn lead to spread of insect and rodent and create illnesses. But something that I'd like to point out, also unfortunately in view of the great explosion that happened in Beirut last night, it might be too early to comment on the real causes, but by all accounts, effective city management and lack of safety regulations is totally palpable. I just feel this is an unfortunate moment where we're discussing uh, managing our cities in view of wars and epidemics. And then something like this happens and there's a lot of questions to be answered in view of this day and age with the awareness that everybody has about health and safety. Why should a large capital city allow itself with such a gross oversight? Anyway, another big subject. <laughs> Don't let me go. <laughs> no, but that's incredibly interesting. I mean, that's exactly what we're, we're all opening our eyes to right now. It's a city defined, but as you said, epidemics and bombs. It's a crazy time we're living in. Well, let's look at the UAE region. What are the short-term and long-term impacts of the pandemic on the architecture profession here? Construction industries are sort of usually regarded as a safe barometer of the economic health of cities and some countries. In times of economic downturn of all the major industries, it is often the first to showcase the market's confidence or lack of. That's the construction industry. In the UAE, however, whilst some private sector may be showing signs of slower activities, the public sector projects like civic health and infrastructure are being initiated, and there's good evidence of that. It is often a good time to accelerate the public sector or reactivate the public sector projects, whilst the private sector, for reasons of insecurity, sort of tends to want to sort of uh, get more insular and, and overprotected. So I think that's the long and sort of um, midterm view of profession in the region, I would say. Were there any projects you were working on pre-COVID-19 that you are now looking at changing? No, because I'd be honest that as a studio, we held up the case 35 years old, but I myself as a design lead, design principal, have been practicing just 35 years myself. I've seen three recessions, but also are fully aware of the human aspects, uh, some of which we've already pointed out regarding making good places, healthy communities, prosperous, inclusive environments. All of these are part of our design principle and approach. And thank God we haven't been caught short. In any also, these changes that you mentioned earlier, the accelerated changes that the architecture industry is now changing, I imagine in projects pre-COVID-19, you were automatically incorporating those changes not just because of COVID, but normally we look at all, because we're um, sort of a studio based, let's say in Dubai, we're a, we're a boutique studio, but we work with our colleagues in Hong Kong and China and the rest of the world. 
we are constantly looking at efficient ways of communication and working across different timelines and so on. So for that, you know, placing systems and measures as we started it you know, much earlier. You're listening to the Cityscape Intelligence Podcast. If you're enjoying the content around this podcast, visit cityscape-intelligence.com, where over the last few months, together with architects around the world, we've been reimagining the way cities will change and how designers and architects are responding to the challenges. Now, let's return to the second part of this interview, where I asked Karosh about the design impact on the office, retail, and hospitality industry. With regards to changing of offices, again, effectively working from home, although people were forced to do it, has also opened people's eyes to the possibilities of flexible. And that's the fact that, you know, a, a physical environment doesn't necessarily mean an office, you know, people can function well, sometimes even better at home or where they can attend a number of their daily tasks. Sometimes means that we work longer hours and then there, there becomes a paradigm shift in all our lives. But given that, sometimes can work to people's advantage and provide more choices. So then that in itself raises the question, you know, is a physical office a necessity. For some professions, yes. For others, maybe not so. But you also said the retail. I think hospitality obviously has been severely affected and that's primarily due to restrictions on uh, global and international travel. But I think again, it's part of a bigger question, a bigger analysis of whether this is just a short-term measure, which I think by and large is going to be once things get back to the so-called new normal or whatever the old normal was. Then, you know, adaptive uses may occur, but by and large, I would say hospitality is one of those very creative sectors that can reinvent itself and face the challenges. What about the retail industry? It's gradually opening here. There are many stores that have already begun to implement short-term changes to create a safer shopping experience. But what are the long-term implications that will change how we experience shopping and leisure destinations? Even before the pandemic, retail industry was experiencing a shift away from physical shopping. Online retail continues to dominate the growth story. But it is becoming increasingly clear that for many that shopping destinations like malls or even high streets, there will need to be a radical change in the offer and a shift away from pure shopping mode, as it were. So all available data seem to indicate that while physical presence has decreased, in fact, the people are shopping more. Maybe partly it's been locked down in pandemic mode and late night shopping online, etc. whatever it is. But all data seems to show a great deal of retail activities for many retailers. So the retail activity in itself 
hasn't decreased, but it's just the mode uh, or the, the physical process has altered. But also it's about changes in consumer behavior around how and what kind of services they purchase. You see, it's not just the mode, but also the kind of services has changed. But regarding the actual physical change to the destinations or the asset entities, there are some social and retailtainment aspects of shopping that has resulted in more innovative search for retailers to attract engaged customers in an alternative way, try to create uh, different experiences. Some major retailers, for instance, in the UK, I was reading this morning, repurposing their building assets to accommodate a greater range of activities and uses like leisure and residential in a way that many cities around the world lack either affordable housing or they lack suitable housing for different strata of of, of social needs. And these are sort of posing as ideal moments for retailers to reassess both their own behavior, respond to the market, but also creating ways to reconfigure their physical assets. As an architect, do you have to be that more innovative when looking at the retail market in future? You mentioned that there is, of course, a draw to e-commerce. We all know this. So now as a designer, when you're presented with a certain retail project, do you have to be that much more innovative in your approach to it? We were involved nearly 18 months ago. When I, in fact, it was at Cityscape Dubai. I did a, a talk on the evolution of retail, and I started from some 2,000-year-old covered bazaars in the region and you know the whole marketplace and so on, and then you know, the 1950s out-of-town retails of you know, the American new towns, etc. And then assessments of, obviously, some of the malls here in, in the region. And then also looked at the trends and the future trends of malls. After that, as a long story short, there were a couple of gentlemen in the audience who approached us for a meeting. We went to Riyadh, they invited us to Riyadh, and they wanted us to look at a, a new concept of how to design for the future retail. Because we had the society was opening up, there were a whole number of new engagements and so on. So we had to get creative pretty fast because they're looking for a concept that was addressing real needs and was responding to the downturn in some sectors. But for instance, the health aspect especially amongst women, Saudi women, well, is on a huge increase. So we said, okay, let, let's look at these possibilities. But not only physical health, but also mental health is an issue. So we started looking at sort of meditative spaces within the public and urban realm. So some serious challenges. At the same time, some very, very interesting solutions were proposed. Our client was extremely happy. So hopefully we get to be able to showcase that soon. That's good. Well, can you predict the area where we might see radical transformation for architects coming out of this era, this climate? 
when people say predict, I always sort of think of a sort of a little crystal ball and sort of, I could see this cloud or whatever. So I try to always make this prediction. But on a serious note, architecture as a profession and practice is a very wide field. It can cover a range of abilities and specialities, you know, from design to technical aspects or just pure management to theory and thought leadership. All of these are sort of provide the spectrum of options and growth opportunities for architects. Most architects are well-versed in the creative process and can respond to global conditions to suit their own goals. So I'm not going to sit here and say what they should be doing, but suffice to say that hopefully they have all the tools at their disposal to be more responsive. From the outbreak of this pandemic, what do you think the biggest takeaway has been for this generation of architects? What challenges are they encountering now that they haven't encountered before? See, apart from the unfortunate health crisis caused by the pandemic, the greatest impact experienced by all is the economic downturn. And I know I'm perhaps oversimplifying, but it is the economy that governs a lot of our behavior. So if we look at from that perspective, economic recessions have been part of the global market reality for over a century. So if young architects haven't experienced yet severe downturns in the market, then they need to learn about its inevitability, unfortunately. This is my third one, so. <laughs> well, they're tough. Um, they can be unpleasant and sometimes bring about some changes, shall we say. But in my experience, they can also offer great opportunities. And I'm being very, um, very sincere in the sense that personally, you know, I began to diversify my skill set after the, the early 90s recession. I was a young qualified architect and the world is going through one of the deepest recession since the Second World War. So I began to continue with my practice and study as an urban designer and master planning. Well, now that 20 years on, it has opened many doors for me. It has been very rewarding and it's involved me in uh, you know, a lot of great international projects that I've traveled as a result of it. So I don't think it's all doom and gloom. As tough as it might be, there could always be alternatives around the corner. So <laughs> just oh. to, just leave, it, leave it on a positive note. That is, that's a wonderful note to end it on. That is a positive note. Thank you for listening to the Cityscape Intelligence Podcast. For more news and information about the global real estate industry, visit cityscape-intelligence.com. I'm Tanisha Naidu, and until next time, goodbye.